I invite you to be seated, but I want you to just kind of keep your heart in a, just a, a place of just uh, reflection and the sacredness of that moment that, that we had in worship. Before we get to the message, I just want to do a couple of things I felt impressed to do as we were worshiping. And, uh, you know, as, in thinking about Thanksgiving, you know, that, uh, that there's, there are firsts oftentimes with Thanksgiving. How, how, how many of you remember the first time that you got to go sit in the grown-up room at the grown-up table? Right, right. You you spend your whole life, and you you have this thought of of one day I'm going to be able to leave this room and this table of little chairs and sit with the grown ups. And I don't know about you, but then the first time you do that, you're about ten minutes into the meal, and you you're thinking, I wish I was still in the kids' room because they're a lot more fun than these old serious grumpy people that that are in here. Sometimes firsts. You know, they, they, we, they, they build up with such anticipation and expectation, and then when we get there, it's, it's a little bit anticlimactic, right? But, but then there are some firsts, and, and when you step into those moments, you experience what Ephesians 3.20 says, which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. And, and as we were worshiping, I just I had such a sense that, that there might be some people here tonight, and you would, you would, this is, and maybe you've had this thought recently, is that you have never in your entire life had people stand around you and pray for you. That, that, that as you look back over the story of your life, you've never experienced a moment where, where you stood and just, and people gathered around you in a moment of prayer. Now, I know this might ask you to take some risks. I know this might ask you to be conspicuous, and people, right, it, being conspicuous goes against our human nature. I, I get it. I, I understand that. But we want to be a church that doesn't miss the moments. I, I love what Tara said in that when she invited people to come to the altar, right? Is, is that she said, we're, we don't want to be in a hurry to miss the moment that's in front of us. And I just had such a sense. It could be that you're visiting from out of town, and this moment is for you, right? That God's changing up the order of our service just for you. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do before we do it, before I ask you to step into it. You with me? So I'm just going to invite you to stand in a minute, and if you stand, that people around you are going to gather around you, and then I'm just going to pray for all of us at the same time. We're not going to ask you to go anywhere, do anything, share anything, have a conversation, but I just had such a sense in worship that there was at least one person here tonight, you've never felt what it's like to have people stand around you with hands on your shoulders in a moment of prayer. So if that's you, I'm just asking you for you to stand where you are. I'm going to put my hand up here so I can see. If you're here, just stand where you are. Come on. I know somebody's here. How are you? Yes, ma'am. I see you back there. Somebody else. There's a couple of people in the back. Anybody else? There you go. Come on. I know. I know there's some people here. It takes somebody to stand before somebody else does it. Anybody else? Come on. It's, there's three people in the back there. Let's have some people make their way to them. Let's have some people make their way to them. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. This is your window. Don't be afraid of being conspicuous. Father, we don't know what you're doing in the hearts of these people that are standing right now, but you do. We know that you want them to feel celebrated. We know that you want them to feel precious. We know that you want them to feel the smile that you have when you think of their name. We want, you, we, we, we want them to know your grace. We want them to feel your mercy. 
We, we want them to see that there is a reservoir of forgiveness in heaven that can never be empty. Father, we want them to know tonight that every hope that they have, that every dream that they have, that every desire that they have, that if it's from you, that you're going to fan it, that you're going to cause it to, to, to grow and blossom, and that you're going to cause it to come to fruition. I pray, God, for every prayer that they've prayed. Father, I pray for everything that they see in their life that they're hoping for that seems impossible, God. We say to those things, yes and amen. We stand with them. Father, I pray for the people they're praying for, and I pray for the prayers that they don't even know how to say yet. Holy Spirit, we say give them the words in Jesus' name. Let this holiday season be the best holiday season they've ever known. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on. How about clapping for some courage? (laughs) Clapping for some courage. It's good. Had a couple of more things. The um, as we were worshiping, I was I just I kept laughing a little bit because uh, I know this is going to sound weird when I say this, but let me explain it. I kept laughing a little bit because tomorrow is the is the five year anniversary of my dad's passing, and the reason I was laughing is is because during worship I just I it's just just funny the things that you remember, right? And uh, uh, and I just kept laughing because my dad could not clap on beat to save his life, <laughs> ever. I'm not kidding. His whole entire life, I don't think I ever, 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 not one time, saw him clap in rhythm with the people that were, that were in the room. Right? So, so I come by all of that honestly. I, I, right, I fulfill every white stereotype that there is. Right? This is right, welcome. This is who I am. And, uh, and so I just, I could not. So I just, I, I just kept laughing over there as we were worshiping because I just had this, had this picture that he was such a, a man of God, such a, a faithful follower of Christ, right? Is that as soon as he got to heaven, I'm quite certain that some angels found him and said, Paul, you're, come with us. And he had to go to the clap and rhythm class, right? Because there's worship in heaven. There's sing- and when he got out of there, he had to go to the, this is how you dance, class, right? He would have had to, and I'm going to have to go. To, he's probably going to go with me when I get to heaven one day. He's going to, that's okay, son, I was here too. I was here too. He's going to be dancing and clapping, and so I just, but, but I'm telling you that because I also thought that, um, because tomorrow is the five-year anniversary of my, my dad's passing, I re- remember how hard Thanksgiving was the first year. Because he died that week of Thanksgiving, and and that that all the first when someone passes, they're hard. The first Thanksgiving was hard. The first Christmas was hard. His first birthday, uh, the first Father's Day, my parents' wedding anniversary, and 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 they're still sad, but they're not as hard as as, as they were. And so I just I didn't want to miss. I didn't want to be in a hurry tonight either to miss this moment. That that if you're if you're here tonight. And, and coming into these holidays is going to be a first for you. That there may be a parent, a grandparent, it, it could be a, a, a friend of yours that was in the military, it just uh, uh, someone who was close, just someone that, that there was a bond between you and them that they're not here anymore and that coming into these holidays is a first for you. I'm just going to, I want to invite you to stand because we want to pray for you tonight. I just want to invite you to stand. Yes, come on. Some people standing. Anybody else? Yes. Come on, City Lifers. You know, make your way to some people here. Let's just stand. There's in the back there, two in the back, and then here in the middle, Melissa. 
Anybody else facing a first? Facing a first. God, we know that there is a comfort that you bring that is nothing like anything that this world has to offer us. We know that there's comfort that we find in people. We know that there's even comfort that we find in moments like this with people standing with us. But in moments like this, we stand together because we're expecting you to do something that this world doesn't have. There there is a, a deposit of comfort that comes from heaven supernaturally, God, from your hand that you deposit into our hearts. You break into our world. You step into our time and you put something in there. And I pray for each of these people that are standing right now that you would deposit that. They would feel it. God. They would feel it, that comfort that you bring. I pray that you would give them permission to celebrate the good times with those that have passed. And I pray that you would give them permission to grieve the bad times. I pray that you would give them permission to cry, and I pray that you would give them permission to laugh. I pray that you would help them and their family on their journey of grief and on their journey of sorrow, and that their hearts would heal. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, applaud some courage. It's not easy to stand up. It's not easy to stand up. Today's Chris House's birthday, so we're going to call him right now. We're going to all say happy birthday in a minute. Let's, let's see if he answers. He's probably thinking, why is Fred calling me at 6 o'clock? He should be preaching. If we get his voicemail, we'll leave it on his, on his, on his voicemail. Wow. He's got a lot of rings before his voicemail kicks in. <laughs> Either that or he has my number blocked. (laughs) All right, here you go. All right, on three, happy birthday. One, two, three. Happy birthday! Oh, so great. We love you. There you go. Come on, give him some love. That's so great. It said it's being transcribed by some software. It's gonna, right, how is that going to come through? Yeah. That's uh, so great. He's, that's uh, so great. He's probably going to text me in a minute. Why are you? Here, let me give you this. I'm going to get distracted up here. People are like, please don't let him be distracted. He's already taken more time than he's supposed to. Praise Jesus. So good. Hey, too, let me just reiterate what David said. We just... This church is the most generous church. It's, it's amazing, right? It's so, it's so amazing. And so I just want to reiterate just a, a big thank you from us. $11,000 really, it, it's the threshold. It marks the halfway point for our goal. We, we, we believe that, it, that at least 25000 if not more, is going to come in for this giving campaign. And uh, the, specifically for the, out, the painting of the outside of the building. And so, um, again, I just want to echo his thank you. I just want to say it again. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. So thank you for your, your generosity. We're in uh, this series, sermon series, if you're visiting, called Why Do Be. We've been in it for several weeks. Uh, the, the name of the series comes from, uh, the, the, the why comes from why Jesus came, the do comes from what we're supposed to do, and the be represents who we are to become. 
Now, if that uh, sparks any curiosity in you or any interest in you, uh, you can go to citylifeva.com. Uh, and then all of those messages are on there. Also, the notes every week. We tend to cover a lot of textual ground. The notes are also there uh, as well uh, for your benefit. And so just for the sake of time, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing any recap. And uh, so just if you're seeing that, why do be, what does that represent? Just to give you a little bit of background. We're going uh, to, to, the last few weeks, we've, we've been uh, doing a deeper dive into this idea of be and who we are to become. And so I want to keep building on those uh, themes that we've been uh, exploring for the last a couple of weeks. So we like a little participation here at Sea Life. So this is the question I want to ask you to kind of get us started is, is, what does it mean to be on a team? So raise your hand and I'll point to you. And you, what does it mean to be on a team? It could be one word, it could be a phrase. What does it mean to be on a team? To have a means to have a role. Yes. Somebody else. What does it mean to be on a team? To follow. Yes. Synergy and effort. Synergy and effort. Accountability, responsibility. Anybody else back here? What does it mean to be on a team? This guy's getting baptized soon. Come on, Avery. Trust. Yes. Humility. Comprom- yes, compromise. One goal. Anybody else in the middle here? What does it mean to be on a team? What does it mean to be on a team? All right, I see some hands up here in the youth section. Come on. What does it mean to be Cooperation. Nice. There you go. What does it mean to be on a team? Anybody? Anybody? Say that again. Play your position. Respectful. Anybody else back? All the way in the back, Alexis? Be supportive. Stan? Common goal. Common goal. Anybody else? Pedro, welcome back from Hawaii. All right. All right. Hey. Have you been looking in my notes, Stan? Come on, sacrificing your own. Yes, for the sake of the team. Everybody who you've heard the saying, right? There's no I in team. Who said that, right? You said that before? And, and my answer to that is yes, but there's an M and an E. There, there, there is, there's a me. And in the, in, the, in, the, in the reason, and sometimes I say it just to be sarcastic because that's who I am, but sometimes I say it because I want to make a point about what it means to be a part of a team, that, that, that when you become a part of a team, you're still a me, which means that you're not supposed to give up your sense of autonomy, but there's no I in team because you are supposed to give up individuality, right? And, and when, 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 you're, when you're on a team, joining a team, you usually more often than not, especially in the context of our conversation, when we're talking about being on Jesus's team, is that you have to choose to be on the team. You have to volunteer. It's, it's your choice as to whether or not you want to be on the team. But once you choose to be on the team, embracing and advancing the culture of that team is now obligatory. Once you join the team, you've made a decision to give up volunteerism, and now there is obligation and responsibility and expectation. John 13, 35, Jesus says, which is the verse that gives us our final box of B, why do B, is your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When Jesus tells us to have love for one another, he's telling us that being on his team will require us to love in ways that is uncommon in the world. 
Let me read it again. It should be on the screen. When Jesus tells us to have love for one another, he's telling us that being on his team will require us to love in ways that is uncommon in our world. Meaning that the kind of love that Jesus expects us to have is a kind of love that's not easily found in the world that we live in. In the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about this before. Jesus says the world is full of love as far as when it's easy to love, but what it's missing is the love that's uncommon. So Jesus says you're going to have to just love your enemies, not just people that love you in turn. That's uncommon, uncommon love. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. I want to read a parable here that Jesus gives. Beginning in verse 29, it says, A man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Right? Because Jesus asked him about the commandments, and he gets, you know, this idea, right, that I've got to love my neighbor as myself. And then he says, All right, but now I want to know who my neighbor is because I don't want to love him more than I'm supposed to. And Jesus tells him a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan... We're going to talk about why Jesus picked all the characters in the way that he did. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, this is important, he felt compassion for him. Then it says, going over to him, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, and the man replied to the one, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, go and do the same. I love this story because we're always asking the wrong questions, aren't we? He wanted to know who his neighbor was, and Jesus was saying, if, if that's the question you're asking, that you're never going to be the person that you're supposed to be. So stop asking who you're supposed to do it for. Focus more on who you're supposed to be, and if you focus on who you're supposed to be, then the second question doesn't matter anymore because it will take care of itself. Jesus doesn't give him a story about who is the neighbor. He gives him a story about what it means to be neighborly. And we know this, right, as the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it could have just as easily been called the parable of uncommon love. If we're going to be on Jesus' team, he expects us to be people who walk in, demonstrate, and embrace uncommon love. Now, we're not going to probably get to all of these tonight, but I want to dive into at least this first one. And it's this, uncommon love makes room. Uncommon love makes room. Now, Jesus is Jewish himself by ethnicity, and he is in 
It's occupied by Rome, but it is by culture Jewish. And the majority of the people in his audience when he's teaching, they also are people who are fellow Jews. And so in this moment, it's interesting that Jesus tells a story where there is both a Jew and a Samaritan as part of the parable. Because in Jesus' day, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. They were both at fault. They both suffered from prejudice and bigotry. It was a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Samaritans were an ethnic group in Jesus' day that trace their heritage back to about 720 or so B.C., when the Assyrian Empire came in and conquered the northern kingdom. Israel at that time was divided into the north and the south. And the north was conquered, the south wasn't, but the north was. And the Assyrians took Jewish people into exile, and then they put Assyrian people there in the northern kingdom. But they also left Jewish people there too, and their expectation was that these two groups of people would assimilate. And they did. People that the Jews that were left behind began to intermarry with the Assyrians that moved in, and that intermarriage produced Samaritans. So the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they saw them as people who forsook their ethnicity by intermarrying with foreigners, which was forbid according to the Mosaic law. The Samaritans looked down on the Jews because their accusation was that they didn't understand their misery and their circumstance and were rejecting the context that led to their situation. And so what happened is you have these two groups of people that both look to Abraham as their father, that both practice this idea of worshiping one God, which in and of itself was an anomaly in ancient times, but they each had their own temple, they each had their own cultural norms, and they each had their own religious practices, even though they shared the same sacred writings. But there was racial tension that was very serious to the point that I would say it rose to the level of despising each other. I love that Jesus picked these characters in his day because Jesus was not afraid to have tough conversations. He was not afraid to deal with the problems of his day. I guarantee you is that he began to tell this story He picks the priest, he picks the temple assistant, who were supposed to be the people that lead by example for what it means to be godly, and as soon as the comparison turns, and and, 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 and he says a no good Samaritan, right? It's not because Jesus doesn't think that he's no good, it's because he's letting them know that he knows that that they think that he's no good. And the fact that he tells the story in such a way that their side was the one who was doing something wrong... And the side that they opposed was the one that was doing something right. So so let me modernize this parable for you. Can I do that? Let me modernize this parable. There was a man with a hat on that said, make America great again, who was beaten by bandits and fell into a ditch. Now, some of you just thought, good, because he deserves it. 
And then someone with a Republican Party t-shirt on walks by and keeps going. Then somebody, right, who's an employee of a Republican House of Representative member stops and looks but then keeps going. But then somebody wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt comes along and stops and sees, knows who this person is and what he stands for and what he represents and helps. Now, I could tell that same story in the opposite. We could say that the person that had fallen and was beaten was somebody who had the Black Lives Matter t-shirt on, and then we could tell the story with people that should have stopped and didn't who were of the same mindset of this individual, but then it's the person that had to make America great again hat on that stopped. Can I just, right, is, is, is for some of you here, the, the feeling of discomfort that you have, the fact that a church is even willing to talk about these kinds of divisions, can I just tell you, that's what it felt like 2,000 years ago. It doesn't feel like that to us when we read these stories because we weren't there 2,000 years ago and, and, and we, are, we are removed from the racial tension that existed then, but we have our own tensions now. And Jesus says to you and to me, you got to talk about this stuff. You, 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 you shouldn't go to a church that's not willing to enter into the conversations that you're having at your own table in your house. You shouldn't go to a church that's not willing to have the kinds of conversations that you're having with your own friends around the water cooler or when you're on break. You should want to go to a church that's willing to talk about the tension of the day. Because Jesus has something to say about that tension. And you know what he says to you and to me? He says, make room. He says, make room. See, I think one of the reasons why he's telling the story of the Samaritan and the Jew finding themselves in a, in a, in a place of, of needing one another is that Jesus is trying to say to you and he's trying to say to me, you've got to be willing to make room for each other in life and in community. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you making room for the possibility that people that you don't like or prefer are just as godly as you are? Yeah. Are you making room for the possibility that people that you don't like or prefer are just as godly as you are? See, I believe that churches suffer from something today. You're going to give me that other mic? How about this guy on the running sound tonight? He's doing, yeah, come on, I know. He's good looking. I bet he looks like his father. He looks like his dad. Churches suffer from, some, from something that I call political mythology. It's mythology because it's false. And I believe, let, let's just talk about two churches in particular. Let's talk about the white church and the black church. 
And these, these are just my observations, right? But I've got the microphone. <laughs> historically white churches and historically black churches both suffer from this. Both suffer from political mythology. And this is what it says. Is that when me being a white man who grew up in a white church looks at a black man who grew up in the black church and I say to him, because you voted for this person who's in this political party that is responsible for these social ills, you're less godly than me because of your choice. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Because I've been in conversations with, with dear friends who are people of color, and in those conversations, it doesn't take too long for me to realize that their opinion of me is that because of who I am and who a candidate that I might vote for who's aligned with certain political parties who, 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 who are responsible for certain social ills, that they see me in that moment as being less godly. And what I would say to you is that's a falsehood. Because I think what Jesus says to you and to me is make room for each other. Make room for each other. And that we have to be willing to set us, we don't have to be willing to set aside our differences. Because Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. What he asks us to do is make room for the difference of the person that you're supposed to be in community with. He says to you and to me, make room for them, make room for them, and be willing to listen to them and be willing to enter into a conversation with them where you're not judging them based on their choices, but there is a hunger and a curiosity and a desire for you to understand why they vote who they vote for. And if we can do that with each other, regardless of the color of our skin, because every election that we step into is going to create a moment of division, but it doesn't have to create a moment of schism if we're willing to make room for each other. Let me give you another one. Some of you are like, no, that's enough already. Are you making room for the possibility that people you don't like or prefer are able to minister to you. Because mm-hmm. you, you might say, you might say, I'm willing to make room for you, yeah. but I don't want anything from you. And I love that in the story, the Samaritan actually ministers to the Jewish person. And what I love about this story is that in all likelihood, because of the division and the hate and the despising that exists between Jews and Samaritans, it was a two-way street, that it probably took this Jewish man to be beaten and left for dead, to put him in a place of vulnerability, to even accept help from someone he views as his enemy. So what I'm saying to you is, Make room for people that are different than you to minister to you because if you're not, God will take you to wherever you need to go to be vulnerable to accept it. And I'm just saying you don't want to walk down that road. 
Are you making room for the possibility that people that you don't like or prefer are able to minister to you? And can I just tell you one of the greatest ways that we minister to each other after we make room for each other is that we help each other see our blind spots. Now, you might be here tonight, and you're hearing all of this, and you're thinking, Fred, I, I, don't, I don't really, I, I don't think I have a blind spot. And what I would say to you is, you just found yours. <laughs> and it's probably the first on a long list like the rest of us. This, this story, I'm telling you, that Jesus told, right? Because we just grew up, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It was one of the most controversial parables that Jesus gave. There's, there's probably only one that's more controversial, which is the story of the Syrophoenician woman, and we've talked about that before. Amazing. It's unbelievable. Jesus was willing to wade out into some controversy. Jesus was trying to help the Jews and the Samaritans see that not only are they supposed to make room for one another, but they're also supposed to recognize that they need one another and that there's something in both groups that the other one has to offer that they each need. Let me give you another question. Are you making room for the possibility that Jesus wants his team to be confusingly diverse? Are you making room for the possibility that Jesus wants his team to be confusingly diverse? It's almost like Jesus is doing a stand-up routine. He says, okay, a Jew and a Samaritan walk into an inn together. Right? Let's understand the story. Jews did not want to be around Samaritans. And Samaritans did not want to be around Jews. Inns in Jesus' day would either accept Jews or they would accept Samaritans, but you did not accept both. Because both would not want to be with each other. So either this inn, either this inn was an inn for Samaritans, which is the implication because the man who stopped is a Samaritan, and the implication is that the innkeeper knows him because he says, when I come back by. So the idea is that he frequents there in his travels is that the innkeeper was so inspired by the Samaritan who brought in the Jew that they were willing to take him in and care for him. Listen. When we become a people who make room for one another, when we become a people who minister to one another, it is contagious. It is contagious. And the world that is divided begins to unify in response to character that we demonstrate because of who Christ is inside of us. I guarantee you, when they walk in the inn, that heads turn. I think Jesus wants his team to be the kind of team that turns heads. I think Jesus wants his team to be the kind of team that when people show up, when people hear about it, when people read about it, one of the first responses that they have is how did you get all of those people who were so different from one another to come together? And the answer is Jesus Christ.
I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul writing this is not saying stop being what you are. He's saying stop identifying with what you are at the expense of first identifying as a follower of Christ. He's not saying to you and to me, give up things that are important to us because of our culture, because of our heritage, because of our political affiliations. What he's saying is stop letting those things divide you. It's what we talked about last week. We're not looking for sameness, we're looking for togetherness. And togetherness is possible when we come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Father, I think about all the conversations that parents are going to be having with their children over the next couple of days about eating the rest of the food on their plate if they want to have dessert. And how every child is going to profess and declare that there's a separate compartment in our bodies for dessert than where the rest of the food goes. Now, we know biologically that's not true, but it is true experientially that we're willing to make room for things that are pleasing to us. That we're willing to make room for things that we desire. We're willing to make room for things that, that taste good. Father, I pray that we would see these things that we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks, that we're going to be talking about next week, that we're going to be talking about as long as we have breath here at the City Life Church. Give us an appetite for them. Let it be that we would see them as dessert and not the vegetable on the plate. Make us hungry for the things that you're hungry for. Make us desperate for the things that you delight in. May it be, may it be, that this week, that the world would find in us an uncommon love that they've never seen before. In Christ's name, let's worship together.